Hi guys, I'm Tasha Bishop and you're listening to the Body Language Podcast. I was born with a condition called Maya Rokitansky Kusterhauser Syndrome, which basically means I was born without a womb or internal vagina. Oops, two minutes in and I've already said the V word. It took me a long time to process my diagnosis and for so many years I felt like the odd one out. How do I exist as a woman in a world that deems my sexless, infertile body as useless? So three years ago, I started a non-profit called The Pants Project, a feminist initiative using underwear as a symbol of strength and a catalyst for conversations about bodies. Launching The Pants Project made me realize something pretty revolutionary. We're all odd ones out. None of us fit the mold. So instead of changing ourselves, we're gonna change the conversation. This weekly podcast comes from a personal place, bringing you a filter-free, intimate insight into all kinds of bodies that make up this world. The way we talk about them, hide them, and ultimately how we come to value our imperfections in a society set on perfection. Bodies are more than the labels that categorize them. They are vessels for the stories we write on our journey through life. Welcome to Body Language, the podcast. Before I welcome today's body language guest, I'd love to start by saying a big thank you to Beach Holiday Specialist on thebeach.co.uk, the sponsors of this podcast. After discovering a pretty worrying stat that a third of women don't go for a dip in the sea or pool on holiday because they're suffering with low body confidence, On The Beach's latest hashtag This Bikini Can campaign celebrates all incredible bodies. So basically, they're saying, you do you. Babe, you deserve to enjoy your holiday and sip that pina colada on the beach guilt-free, regardless of your shape, size, gender, ethnicity or colour. Visit onthebeach.co.uk forward slash body language to browse thousands of holidays with a deposit from just £30 per person. Thank you guys. This week on the Body Language podcast, I'm so excited to be welcoming Anna Whitehouse, previously a traditional journalist Anna is regularly referred to as a mum blogger, although she's definitely a lot more than a hyphenated catch-all. She is known online as Mother Pucker, figurehead to the Pucker dynasty that includes Papa Pucker, Sister Pucker, Grandmother Pucker, Grandfather Pucker and absolutely zero pies. Pouring her incredible talent for writing into every piece of content she creates, Anna mothers two children alongside hosting a podcast, co-hosting a Sunday Night Heart radio show with comedian Ellie Taylor and maintaining an extremely successful trio of social media channels. Anna spends much of her time debunking the myths of parenthood through funny anecdotes and sharing her very personal experience with miscarriage. If that wasn't enough to fill a life with, she has also published a best-selling book called Parenting the Shit Out of Life and recently started Hashtag Flex Appeal, a campaign gathering serious steam, fighting for flexible working hours for parents and more of a life for us all. Hi, Anna. Welcome to the Body Language Podcast today. It's so great to have you. Before we dive into all the curves and crevices of today's podcast body, We like to start with a little warm up to kind of get us in the mood. So this is a bit like one of those think on your feet games where you have to basically say whatever comes into your head quickly. Question one, finish the sentence. My relationship with my body is? Complex. If you could say one thing to your younger self, what would it be? Um, How do you feel, not how do you look? Mm. What does self-care look like to you? Time. It's time doing whatever you want, whatever you feel you want to do and not feeling like watching really trashy TV is a bad thing. (laughs) Don't feel the guilt. Yes. (laughs) What is the most ridiculous myth or lie you've heard in relation to women's bodies? 
Um, I think the most ridiculous myth or lie is, um, well, I think it comes back to the old narrative of how to become beach body ready. You know, and I know it's yeah. been used a lot and a lot, but it, it was so entrenched in my mind that mm. I'm like, I'm still there. I still like before going on the yeah. beach, it's still lurking in the back of my mind, despite yeah. all the work that everybody on the internet is doing to break it down. Yeah. I'm still like, oh no, get over that. <laughs> I love that. What is your biggest strength? My biggest strength didn't come naturally. It was when my close friend, Mark, who's my daughter's godfather, said, Anna, my darling, just remember that listening isn't just waiting to talk. Ooh. I was like, that's so true. That's very profound. Yeah, but I was like, until then, I was always thinking when I was talking to someone of the next thing to say. Yeah. Actually, just letting yourself listen. Yeah. I was like, that's, that's great. It changed my life yeah. overnight. Yeah. I think I always panic. I'm so panicked about what I'm going to say to someone next, that whether it's going to be intelligent or funny or the right thing. I think I spend too much time worrying about that, that it's going to be the wrong thing to say instead of actually just listening to people. Yeah, it's actually um, quite cathartic. Yeah. It actually makes you a much better person. Yeah. <laughs> what does the term body goals look like to you? Uh, like, who are you? Yeah. Where do you want to go? What are you doing right now? Not what do you see in the mirror? Yeah. What should you be? Yeah. What should you look like? Agree, big time. Who is your body positive hero and why? It's nothing to do with body positivity, but I think it would be my mum who just makes me laugh so much. She says things like, oh, I was up shit creek without a ladder the other day. And I was like, why did you have a ladder? Why not a paddle? So like, why are you up shit creek? It's just it's so complicated. She's like, she's like, I was up shit creek without a ladder the other day. And I was like, okay, okay, let me just... Break that down. <laughs> that definitely is something I would say. What story does your body tell? I'd say a lot of people say it's been your children's home, but it's actually been, it's my home. Yeah. You know, it's home. And finally, just because I'm a power pants underwear addict, what does your favourite <laughs> pair of pants look like? <laughs> oh, well, I have this pair of pants from like 1997, uh, which I still have. Do you remember Tammy Girl? You, oh, you're so young. God, like <laughs> you're looking at me in like. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay. Oh. I, I think I actually have heard of Tammy Girl. Though. Okay, thanks. <laughs> Throw an old, old lady a bone. Oh God, I feel literally ancient. Um, there's a pair of pants I got from Tammy Girl the year you were born. Um, <laughs> and they said on the front, arouser. Ooh. And I, I thought it said trouser. And I just thought, well, that's really ironic and cool, like, because it's a pair of pants. Yeah. And it wasn't just the script was like, and then somebody, I was like 14 with a head brace wearing a pair of pants that said arouser on it. <laughs> You know, with a, a really hefty bush. It's <laughs> like this. I still have this pair of pants because it just reminds me. I just felt freaking awesome in them. I just thought they're so cool because they're not a trouser. It's just you know, a pair of pants. Yeah, you're just natural but arouser. Just <laughs> it was just so wrong on so many levels. But yeah, 1997. You were born in 1997. Yeah. Okay. You've done so much. The kids of the kids of today. Just so the internet has opened it all up. It's true. It's power of the internet. Is. It has its bad points, but it does have its good points. Yeah. When I was choosing who I wanted to interview for this podcast, I knew I wanted to do an episode surrounding fertility, infertility, motherhood. And as difficult as this conversation might be for both of us for, for different reasons, I really do believe it's an incredibly important one that we can add to and uncover. I wondered whether fertility was something that you found difficult in the first place or whether it was whether it came easy to you. 
Um, I think I gave my career a lot of thought in terms of how motherhood would impact my career. Yeah. I just kept thinking it's just something that's going to happen. You know, yeah. a bit like we'll get married, yeah. have babies. I mean, you're just going to be handed one by a stalk, yeah. hopefully. <laughs> so I didn't really fancy my ex. So I kind of, I had this utopian vision of what it would be. Yeah. And... When we started, you know, in inverted commas, trying, and trying is really, doesn't really cover the sort of heartbreak and pain and um, frustration and sadness, I think, that can come from trying to have a baby. Yeah. I, yeah, I started sort of trying and it didn't work out for us uh, three times before we had our first daughter Mm. that I just started thinking, well, why are we all thinking it's going to be something that just happens? And that was when I started talking quite openly about miscarriage. I spoke the day that I miscarried. I just put it up and it wasn't for any kind of attention-seeking purposes. It was because um, I felt like there was a duty to share the heartbreak that comes like before having a child. And Mm. I think it was in a moment when somebody said, congratulations on being pregnant. And then I miscarried the next day. I was like, no, congratulations is the wrong word until you hear that first cry. Yeah. My husband, you know, he's kind of half Scottish and he's made from Aberdonian granite. (laughs) (laughs) He's sort of like, I think I described him very unfairly the other day as an emotional husk of a man, uh, which is really unfair. And, you know, he's an incredible ally. But we translate emotion and heartbreak in very different ways. It comes out in different ways. And I was very emotional throughout it. And it was, it took a year and a half. And he quietly just uh, sort of emailed me a post that he'd written. He said, I don't even know if I'm going to publish this, but just so you know where I stand on this. And it was to this day, the most heartbreaking thing I think I have ever read because um, I had focused so much on what was happening with me, my Mm. body, my womb, my sort of inviolable fetus, the word that keeps being used around miscarriage when actually, no, I've lost a little life, a little life that I'd named, a little life that I had imagined a nursery for, a little life that was very much a part of my life. I felt like I'd lost a bit of myself. And I hadn't really factored in his perspective as much because it felt physically everything happened to me. When I read that blog post, it was a list of things that uh, men can do to support their grieving partners. And uh, it started with, don't try and say, you know, it'll be okay. It'll happen next time. You don't know that. You're not cheering on an under fives football team. Don't try and rationalise it. Sit in the hole. And his final point that broke me was he said, don't let trying uh, stop you from living. Mm. And I think that's something in all matters of reproduction and gynecology you can become very consumed by what's not working and what you want and how it doesn't fit together Mm. but what he said was yes we still have to live and that doesn't need to have a child in it we're already a family and he said you and I are a family doesn't have to be 2.4 kids and a white picket fence we're here. I think it's poignant that you talk about it as a journey because I, I read your miscarriage of justice blog post I mean, you've gone through five miscarriages, is that right? Yeah. You so eloquently describe the, the journey of grief that you go through and, and the shift. And is it something that 
leaves you is is does the grief leave your body after losing a child in in your body i think the word miscarriage is so cold yeah and i don't think it really encapsulates the fact that you have lost a life it yeah. encapsulates quite a medical term like inviable fetus you know and i was advised to go home and i said but what happens it you know when the baby comes out and they yeah. said oh just just flush it down the toilet and i still remember the the sense of just complete disrespect, disregard for a life that I was not just grieving for, but that was part of me. You know, yeah. you don't just flush a bit of yourself down the toilet. Yeah. And I think that was when I really felt strongly about speaking openly about it. And that, I think, was the big learning curve for me, was the assumption that this would happen. Yeah. The really big point when you say, do I forget? Does the grief go away? No, it doesn't. It's there every time that I go to nursery with my daughter. That's mm. why I miscarried when um, we went through it for the second time. And I was in the toilet miscarrying with my daughter. You don't know when it's going to happen. And yeah. I felt there was something wrong. And the sort of just like echo of children's voices in this space. And it was like a nightmarish scenario. And she just stood there as I'm just kind of streaming tears. Mm. And she sort of just questioned, she's like, Mommy, why do you have black tears? And I was like, I've forgotten how much mascara I put on that morning. And I was just like, this complete state in front of a three-year-old. And I just thought in this moment, I can either be honest or I can make something up. And I said, sometimes... It's not uh, the mummy's fault. The baby sometimes can fall out. And I didn't know how else to describe it. I just mm -hmm. said it as factual as I could. And then she came back with, well, can't the doctor put another one in? And I was like, um. And then she said, could the next one be black like my friend Zion? And then I was just a bit like, okay, I'm in another world here yeah. that I can't understand. But I kind of was in this sort of weird bubble of nightmarish emotion yeah and I was laughing at the questions from a three-year-old yeah you know and I think that was it that um whatever you're going through help can come from very unlikely places support yeah. can come from a three-year-old as much as it can from a counsellor and I think yeah. the key to it for me has been just being honest with those that ask questions I think that was part of of the biggest reason that I started the Pants Project is because I felt so alone. I was the only 18-year-old talking about fertility and fertility because we've taught women that you get to 25, 30, 35, however old you are to have to have kids and then you just have them magically, it appears out of nowhere. And then you're validated. Yeah. It's so confusing and it's such a, I don't know, it's such a dangerous rhetoric to sell to women. And it is sold, like the way that we talk about women's bodies in society is so it's so like paradoxical now nowadays because women are like expected to have a career but they're also expected to be mothers and like how dare you not be either of those two things <laughs> like I always talk about how awkward I felt being a sexless infertile woman like what am I supposed to do in society like having a job isn't enough still so it's very confusing but um so how old were you when you were in hospital? So I was diagnosed when I was 18. And then it's kind of complicated because MRKH affects different women in different ways. But you're born without a womb, but you're also born without an internal vagina. So to 
enable you to have sex you have to have your vagina like stretched basically so a penis can go inside (laughs) Um, things we do for the patriarchy (laughs) yeah tell me about it but in order for that to happen basically because the vagina is a muscle like with any muscle you have to like keep using it to keep it stretched so like when you don't go for a run for a year then you go for a run and you're like can't walk up the stairs the next day (laughs) it's a bit like that except it's like kind of worse so to have the operation or the procedure you have to be in a relationship where you're having like constant sex wow yeah this is a com- this is complicated. <laughs> so it's like it's a lot of pressure to put on like an 18 year old girl so were you um, were you with someone then at so the time? yeah so i've been with my boyfriend for nearly six years now so i met him like the year after i was diagnosed with mrkh um and we were like best friends and then i mean he is like maybe the best person on the planet (laughs) but he was so like gentle and patient and he was like I don't mind that we have to wait a year to like ready and obviously it's not even like a short process it's like a you go in for the procedure and then it takes like a few months to like finish off the stretching but that's the thing is that like I was very lucky in that regard that I did meet someone that I I think men get a bad rep. It's very easy to sort of be like, he wasn't there for me or this, you know. I I know more men who are there for their partners than aren't. Um, I think there's, clearly there's a massive issue at the top. Yeah, Uh, yeah. There's definitely a huge, huge weighty imbalance. But I think that uh, the current narrative around men as caregivers, as support, it's definitely the balance isn't there, but I Mm. I know more people increasingly who are there than aren't. Absolutely. And I mean, the men who like know about my condition, they've all been like so supportive, whether it's vocally or not. So whilst... Our situations are very different. Um, I wonder how you felt about your your body after you lost your children. After I was diagnosed with MRKH, I hated my body for what it couldn't do. And I wished I had a different body. And I felt this very strong sense of kind of disconnection with my body because I felt like I'd lost a child that I'd never had. And so I wonder how your experience affected your relationship with your body. Was it negative? Did you... Were you really positive and kind of caring about your body? Did you blame it? I was I was angry, yeah. yeah. I think the natural feelings when you've lost something are a grief equals anger, frustration, mm. resentment, I think, uh, generally. And I felt, you know, my uterus just wasn't working. This felt like mother nature was in control not me uh it felt like I'd been dealt an unfair hand so in terms of my body it was more the grief uh I felt having lost a little life and it came down to as well than the constant reminder once you've I was my husband and I worked out I was pregnant for the best part of seven years you know with five miscarriages and two children and I think that's, again, coming back to terminology, it's hard to know what to say. Five little lives that we lost and two that kind of earth side, you know, mm. it, they were all children to us. Physically and yeah, emotionally, you're in a constant better. state of of being pregnant. And um, my body would offer up painful reminders uh, every time that it hadn't worked out. I would still have boobs that were saying it's all fine and you'd rationalize but maybe they could have got it wrong hate's a strong word there was never hate towards my body there was anger towards this uterus this sort of inviable uterus that was 
incapable of keeping my children safe. Mm. That like really resonates with me, I think, because... And I, I actually felt like such a guilty feminist for so long because I was like, the one thing I want my body to do is have children. <laughs> like, doesn't matter about all the other stuff. And so I think not being able to do that was a journey and a process of learning to love my body for the way that it was again. Just a quick ad break to say that Beach Holiday Specialist on the beach has revealed three pretty important steps to getting beach body ready. Number one, put on your swimwear. Number two, find a beach. Number three, shine bright and feel fabulous. Who would have thought in this day and age that anyone, no matter what they look like, could go to the beach and have a ball? I love that On The Beach are banishing the myth of having to get beach body ready. Since over here on the Body Language Podcast, I really believe that all bodies are beautiful. So dig that bikini out, go to onthebeach.co.uk forward slash body language and browse through their thousands of great holiday options suitable for every single body. When your relationship with your body was difficult after you'd miscarried and you were you were angry about the way that your body was what what was it in the end that kind of helped you repair that relationship it was actually the connection with the women in my life that repaired everything Mm. it was when I'd had a second miscarriage and my close friend Pippa she didn't try and rationalize it she didn't try and say but you know you got pregnant so it's likely to happen again there was no attempt to rationalize it it was the difference between empathy and sympathy empathy kind of sits in the hole with you Mm. cracks open you know the jaffa cakes makes a really strong builders and you sit down and you cry Mm. and the point where i realized that i would be okay was when so I can't talk about this. Is when she she made me godmother to her daughter when I was at my lowest, mm. and I didn't see any way to having a child. I couldn't see the way forward, and I was I'm an incredible optimist, but I'd lost that. I'd lost my shine. Yeah, and she made me the godmother to her little daughter, Immy, and I think it was just another. It was a woman giving. Another woman, a role in a child's life. Mm. And I think that was it. Yeah. It was just feeling like my ability to be a strong role model or a mother even Mm. in another child's life doesn't depend on my uterus. It doesn't depend on the inner workings of my body. I think it was in that moment it coincided with Matt saying, we're already a family, Anna. We don't need children to qualify this. Mm. And her making me godmother. And I don't think it has to be anything like being a godmother. I think it can simply be who are the children in my life or around me, nephews, nieces? How can I support them how can I help them with all the things I know and that I think was what really pulled me out of it almost overnight yeah was I'm not redundant just because my body doesn't work yeah motherhood is all-encompassing and it Mm. can look different there's incredible darkness that you have clearly faced and darkness that I've faced and I Mm. think pretty much every other woman in some capacity has faced yeah but there is lightness in it um, and it does often come my experience from other men and women I kind of want to talk about body positivity and being a mum and what that encompasses 
I don't know whether it's just from my experience, but I'm speaking, you know, in a position of extreme privilege. <clears throat> I have two children and I'm so abundantly aware of questioning anything from a stretch mark through to a frustration with my child kind of planking in the middle of a Tesco <laughs> tins good, tin goods aisle. You know, I, I, I'm still in those moments. Like, I'm not the annoying parent who's like dancing around, you know, singing the, the hills are alive with the sound of music. But yeah. even in those moments, like, I remember what it was like to feel like I could never have that. So, you know, and I think there's a lot of grief around it it not happening. And I'm, I have so many friends who it hasn't happened for or won't happen for and they've made peace with it. Mm. But I still have that very close to heart so in terms of my relationship with my body it's like just uh, it's just a I hate the word vessel but it really was just a carrier <laughs> yeah it was like a tote bag you yeah. know that I just put my most precious things in <laughs> yeah um and however it looks you know after that that journey yeah I, I wasn't looking at it you know and I don't yeah. know whether my experience has shifted that you know I did not pop back into shape but I know lots of people who did and mm. that's because they have incredibly athletic bodies and yeah. they feel really lambasted because they just looked after themselves or they have a natural athletic yeah. figure and so I think we've just got to remove the connection between motherhood and how it changes your body and just yeah. nobody really asked I didn't feel anybody asked me uh, in all the magazines that I was reading when I was growing up you know it's like I was told how to look in a bikini I was told if you look like this this will lead to this and nobody ever asked how do you feel like how are you feeling and that's really it is that mm. I was really postnatally depressed post my second child mm. I felt awful but I wasn't that wasn't because of how I looked. It was just because of how I felt and the chemical yeah. hormonal makeup in my mind. So it was really more how did I feel and it wasn't great. And I didn't look in the mirror going, it's my body's fault or it's my <laughs> leaky boobs fault. Or yeah. <laughs> why is my, you know, left butt cheek sagging so much? <laughs> or what on earth is going, like literally what's going on with that C-section scar? Like I feel like I've got like an extra pocket over it. You know, like yeah, I really yeah. wasn't quite, I recognise those things, but I wasn't, questioning them and thinking oh that's linking to how I'm feeling yes yeah. um really the hormonal imbalance that I think I blamed more I, I really want to talk about breastfeeding did you breastfeed firstly not that it matters because that's the second half of my question why are we so obsessed with breastfeeding as opposed to bottle feeding but also we don't let women breastfeed in public yeah, it's such a conflicted space. It's so um, it's so confusing. Uh, yeah, I did I did breastfeed too. Uh, the two of them. Uh, the second time, um, it was so strange because obviously Insta Stories had just launched, and I was kind of like I had time on my hands because I was breastfeeding twenty four seven pretty much. Yeah, and I just used to do all my stories uh, just with her on the boob or whatever, but not as a kind of like wow, look at me breastfeeding. Yeah. It was just, that's where she was, yeah, you know, yeah. like a girl's got to eat, you know. Yeah, exactly. And um, so I was doing all these Insta stories and people started getting in touch going, God, you're such a breastfeeding advocate. And I was like, no, I'm not. I'm just feeding my baby yeah. and I'm trying to work at the same time to mm. a certain extent. And um, I found that quite interesting. Um but I had one person who said, um, oh, my God, look at you and your skanky, manky titty. Uh, <laughs> and I was just like... What? <laughs> I was like, and I did a response on Insta stories and I was like, I'd just like to address this. Um, a, my tit is not skanky. I can yeah. wash my boob. <laughs> and two, I'm just feeding my kids. Yeah. Like, 
lay off. And the response to that, I think, was more like, because I hadn't made a big thing of it. So that was, I think, what surprised people. They were like, you're such a breastfeeding advocate. I'm not. I'm just feeding my child. But yeah. this is how you can do it alongside other things. Yeah. Don't feel ashamed. And if you want to cover up, cover up. Do what's right for you. You yeah. know, I think there was a real pressure to Definitely. sort of full, like, get your baby out. Yeah. Here's my boob. If you don't feel comfortable, don't feel forced into that. What What's it like? We've talked about body confidence, your relationship with your body yourself, like that private relationship, I guess. Do you feel like you have to change the way you talk about your body or maybe like, oh, I feel really like shit today about myself? Do you notice yourself doing that in front of your kids? And is that something that you like try not to do to help them feel more positive? I want to just be honest with them about um, the things that have happened to my body. Um, And, you know, I mean really kind of quite creepily the other day my two-year-old just launched herself at my boob like she hasn't been breastfeeding for like a year and it was like some kind of nostalgic memory just came back and she just like a kind of mollusk to a rock just and I had to sit her down you know she's two and I was just like you know like mummy's mummy's boobs are not yours anymore back yeah. it up you know? <laughs> and there's been a conversation around how they were theirs for a bit you yeah know, there was an element of ownership so we yeah. have conversations really that come really naturally from their questions mm. and we had the whole vagina, vulva, anus discussion yeah. uh, recently. And what came out of it was there's a real reason why you need to use anatomical, biological names. There's a mm. real reason for it because it's about safeguarding. Yeah. That's the quite dark real, realist side of why you need to be in control of the terminology, in control of how your body works, how it might not work at some point. Just be empowered with the information. But So we went really into that. We used all the right terms and what came out of it was she um, she called vagina Regina, which I quite like actually. Uh, Queen Regina. I think it was quite a wonderful regal air to it. And then she called Volvo a uh, Volvo. So we've just basically got Regina just driving around in a Volvo at the moment. Um, you know, who, where that goes, I don't know. But um, we're on the I right really path. Regina is on the right path. You know, yeah. she's going in the right direction. Yeah. Have an informed approach. I think that's it, you know, and then yeah. work out what feels right for you and then make those decisions and don't shame anyone else around you who isn't making those decisions feel free if they ask you a question like oh why do you say vagina oh well this is the reason and it's not always an easy conversation to have but just inform yourself as much as you can so the decisions you're making you stand behind but I think we can see across the internet don't use it as a stick to beat other women with Mm. you know it comes down to sharenting I don't share photos of my children anymore but I used to you know I'm it's like the cookie monster coming and analysing the bad uh, effects of sugar. You know, I'm coming yeah. to the party late and I'm questioning it, but we've made that decision. But I'm not going to use that as a stick to beat around, you know, the head of another woman who is mm. sharing pictures of her children online. Mm. Same with breastfeeding, bottle feeding. Mm. Stop using your bodies and parenting choices to lambast other, I say women, just yeah. other parents. Yeah. That's why I set up Mother Pucker. It started mm. in a far bluer place. It was really like, just motherfuckers, stop. Yeah. Just stop. I don't, you know, right from my Auntie Janet through to, you know, Bob on the internet, who's like, you're the reason I don't employ working mothers, you know, <laughs> right the way through that full gamut. That's why I set it up, because Mm. I feel that our bodies and our parenting choices, which filter into our sort of body choices in a way, are being used to throw stones and to make Mm. mainly women feel worse about those two things. So that's the bit I feel strongly about. Yeah. And I don't want my children 
to adopt. I want them to just see a woman doing the best that she possibly can with a man who's also doing the best he possibly can. And it's imperfect. Yeah. Uh, It's messy. It's stressy. But ultimately, we're doing the best we can. And that's all I think you can hope for. Mm -hmm. And as long as they see that, then I feel successful yeah not just you know in terms of work but just successful as a human as Regina disappears around the corner (laughs) we're working on it (laughs) so I'm a a huge fan of your campaign flex appeal it highlights a huge amount of what is wrong with society in terms of how we value people but actually how we value bodies too and the kind of stringent parameters of career expectations and the working week and the working day really only allow for a few bodies that exist in society to thrive. And the way we currently work and operate in the working world discriminates against mentally and physically disabled bodies, against pregnant bodies, bodies that, that are relied on by others um, and so on. So I was wondering if you could Firstly, tell us a bit about Flex Appeal for those people who don't know what it is and, and also what you hope will it will achieve and how employers can help support all bodies in the working world. I really uh, love how you just um, put that, like that it's <laughs> to support bodies that are being depended on by other bodies. I think that, to be honest, you've summarised it perfectly. <laughs> but yeah, I, I earlier in an interview today, I described it as we're, and I'm going to use it again. <laughs> I described it as we're sort of like, <laughs> I'm not saying this, we're sort of like a hamster in like the capitalist wheel. Yeah. You know? We're just running around, just not even questioning it, just going for it. Yeah. And what we really need is, you know, the rotor stack that hamsters have, you know, like <laughs> yeah. the tubes that you put together and they're like, can run free and go in the direction they want to go in but they're still a hamster and they're doing really well but they've got a different mindset about life because they're free and they're still working but they're just not going in this kind of wheel this circle of capitalist gain and Flex Appeal is really about putting humans above business, but ultimately for the business benefit it is uh, the best example is simply who has come into the office at 9.02am and felt lambasted, like you're a bad employee. Two minutes late, oh my goodness, you're a terrible person. And somebody's coming at 8.59am and it's like, oh, you're a brilliant employee, well done. And everyone's tutting in the office at the person who's there. You're talking two minutes. You don't know what preceded those two minutes. It could have been leaves on the line. It could have been a screaming child. It could have been any human factor that meant that those two minutes were pushed beyond nine o'clock. And we don't look at the human the human backdrop to business. We're just looking at the capitalist gain. And I think Flex Appeal is about breaking that down, is about asking ultimately what's right for business. Mm. What is right for business is to employ people who uh, are living with disabilities, to employ people who are living with anxiety, who to employ people who have caring responsibilities and ultimately to employ people who just want to live. Mm. You know, if you truly want an inclusive and diverse workforce you have to look at all bodies as you said you have to look at all humans and say how can we include them in our business everyone that's just I don't know it's a really interesting way of looking at it like I haven't I hadn't ever thought I'd really thought it was all like human focused and it is but it's all about money yeah and this is the bit that I'm trying to break through is like uh, we've tried the stick approach now. It's like, yeah. here's the massive carrot. Come yeah. and get it, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's where we're at. I'm still in the hamster world. <laughs> <laughs> but I actually do, like, I've, I've, when I do half days of work um, for my, like, day job, I actually find I do way more work than I do when I have a full day. I procrastinate a lot more if I have a full day. <laughs> yeah. So 
it's definitely proof that it works. It definitely, <laughs> definitely works. We're going to move on to the second part of the podcast now. <laughs> so this half of the podcast is called Vanity Planet in Print. And I'll start with a few statistics to get us in the mood. The weight loss industry is valued at $72.7 billion. 48% of women are interested in having cosmetic surgery. And it's estimated that only 5% of women naturally possess the ideal body type portrayed by the media, meaning that 95% of women are not represented. Media and family are reported to be the most influential factors on a person's body image. So for the second half of this podcast, we're going to be playing some games and doing some exercises not physical ones i hope nothing physical (laughs) can't do a star jump and yeah conducting some very unsciencey experiments in terms of the way we look at and talk about bodies in our society so for your episode i came up with hashing it out because i think amongst the myriad of different talents you possess hashtag mocking is definitely one of my favorites (laughs) um So I was a big fan of hashtag too tired to cheat when everyone thought that a picture of Ed Sheeran and his girlfriend was you and Ed Sheeran. (laughs) Um, And I also particularly loved hashtag Richard Branson came from your uterus to support your flex appeal posts. Um, (laughs) When I did my law degree, I never imagined this being the pinnacle. (laughs) Richard Branson came from your uterus. (laughs) I mean, it's definitely amongst a myriad. So I thought we could start with Fitzpiration. Have you ever used Fitzpiration? Have you ever seen Fitzpiration? Um, I have. uh, And I think I accompanied, I think the correct term is, the abbreviated term is Fitzbo. Fitzbo, indeed. The Fitfam. I've used it in a photo of me sort of um, face planting a Big Mac. (laughs) That's about as far as it's gone. I I feel like hashtag Fitzbo, hashtag (laughs) Fitfam. Not to like take the position you know I'm really happy people uh, who want to get fit, to get fit. and I do my bit you know behind yeah. the scenes I've got a trampoline uh, oh. <laughs> yeah don't like you know, Johnny Big Guns over here um, but yeah I don't know um, okay the next one is the hashtag Kylie Jenner lip challenge have you come across this Phenomenal. don't know I'm 38 and I feel I feel like maybe I bypassed that one. No, so, I have no idea what that is. And Shall um, I tell you what it is? Yeah, tell me what that is. Okay, so this hashtag went viral last year after people noticed that Kylie seemed to have fuller lips than in the past. The Kylie Jenner lip challenge hashtag asked users to put their lips into small glass bottles and suck as hard as possible <laughs> to temporarily give their lips a fuller appearance. Wow, it's just so, like, I can't even strip back the layers on that. I like, I'm really struggling. With, it's just a lot of layer of wrong. I know, I know. Okay, and the next one is hashtag no carbs before marbs. Have you heard of that one? I have heard of that one, yeah. I, I really hate this hashtag. I think it, but I do think it perfectly ties up. I think up. in context, uh, in context to Towie, it was from Towie, was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In context, there's certain context that you're like, I mean, anything can go on that show. Okay, and the final one is... This one's actually a bit scary. I don't even know if I want to bring down the tone of this amusing podcast, but it's called Bikini Bridge. Have you heard of this? Hashtag Bikini Bridge. No. So this is apparently a hashtag that was all the rage this summer. Um, I can't say it's one I've ever experienced, but the Bikini Bridge is a goal people hope to achieve when they're skinny enough to lie down and they're like elastic on their bikini is like tight, so there's a 
gap between their stomach and their bikini. Yeah, it feels but, like the dark, sinister term. Yeah, I mean, it reminds me of thigh gap, which is just horrible. I think thigh yeah. gap was, was the first introduction I had to hashtags, actually. when I, I remember when I like first got Instagram, people were being obsessed with thigh gaps, and it was oh, it's just very weird. We did a segment on uh, the podcast called Love Handle Island. Oh, yeah, I think it was a actually. lot of, like, I think people just feeling like, yes, I get the fact that, you know, you need a certain certain clientele to be on tele and yeah, stuff but indeed. it's just like just let there be just a little hint of a crumb of muffin top like a crumb, a crumb of normality yeah really. yeah exactly and even the term muffin top you know like it's like it's just <laughs> someone wearing some pants i know it's just a body wearing some pants well thank you so much for being on the podcast anna it's Thanks been amazing the conversation's been amazing and insightful and really educational and it's been, it's been, it's been emotional. Great. Yeah, it has. has. That's it, guys. Another fierce episode full of bold body language. Thanks to our partners over at onthebeach.co.uk. I couldn't have done this podcast without them. They share our passion to celebrate stories of self-acceptance and embrace how we can all take ownership of our bodies. For more details and to book your next holiday, check out onthebeach.co.uk forward slash body language. Thank you for listening and shout out to On The Beach for being the game-changing holiday retailers this industry needs. And for all you listeners out there, I hope this made you feel like the sparkly starburst of a human that you are. But if it was difficult to listen to, please know that you're not alone. If you need help or advice, you'll find the relevant support links in this week's show notes. Hit the subscribe button. See you next week. And may the power of pants be with you.